Hello, welcome to Winter Dogs Bagpipe and History Podcast, the weekly show where I explore the likely repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers using historic music collections, written for bagpipes or not, uh, and played on illin pipes, highland pipes, and whistles. Let's hear some tunes. beginning to miss the good old days of recording the podcast uh like uh, several days ahead of time uh, even having one in the can because once again this episode is going to come out a bit later than i like it to um but it is chock full of good tunes and interesting stuff i think so this week's episode we are going to be talking about primarily a book published by john walsh uh, the second, or at least the younger, I'm not sure if he's a second or third, um, published in London, but it's called Caledonian Country Dances, probably published around 1750. But uh, both John Walsh, uh, who started publishing music in the 1690s, and his son, who took over um, in the early 18th century, uh, publishing music until the 1760s, they both figured out that, hey, if we don't put dates on the front of these things, we can just keep releasing them. Oh, it's no big deal. Nobody will know that it's old. Um, so I'm not sure when it's published, but I think it's 1750s or so, and it's an interesting collection of dance music. Um, so we're going to talk about John Walsh and his father a bit, and also talk a little bit uh, about Handel. And so the tunes we are going to play, we're going to start actually uh, by revisiting Lady Mackintosh's reel from last week, because as then certainly two people that I've heard from uh, were sort of screaming out their headphones saying, doesn't he realize that that's a man's a man for all that from Robert Burns? Um, so we're going to start with uh, playing a bit of that tune again. I uh, will play Matt Seattle's setting for Lady Macintosh's reel, uh, plus just me monkeying around a bit because I got some new small pipes today. Um, and then we are going to jump right into uh, just some of the tunes that I found in Walsh's Caledonian Country Dances. You might remember last time I was talking about another descriptive piece tune I was looking for called The Hair in the Corn. Well, wouldn't you know it, Hair in the Corn is in Walsh's Caledonian Country Dance music. So I'm going to play Walsh's setting for Hair in the Corn, followed by O'Farrell's setting, which is quite a bit more uh, complex. And then we're going to play Walsh's setting for My Ain Kind Deary, which seems to actually be a Scottish tune. Most of the tunes in here aren't, or at least they are uh, Scottish eventually. Um, so we're going to do My Ain Kind Deary, and then O'Farrell also has My Ain Kind Deary, and he labels it as Scotch. So I'll play O'Farrell's setting for it. Uh, and then next we'll play Walsh's Turnbridge Frisk. This is a tune I couldn't find other any other settings for, but there are a number of Turnbridge tunes published in other English collections. I'm not sure about that. Uh, then we're going to play Walsh's Country Bumpkin, which is just a great title for a tune, uh, followed by another setting of the same tune from Aird, uh, James Aird, which is called Bab at the Bowster. And then after chatting a bit about John Walsh, we're going to play O'Farrell's setting for Handel's Minuet, which will make sense at the time. So, uh, yeah, thanks, everybody. Uh, had some lovely conversations with listeners 
this week. And uh, yeah, just uh, after after immediately playing Lady Macintosh's reel so many times last week, uh, it was I felt like a bit of a fool for not recognizing it as a man's a man for all that. Uh, it's interesting how much the tune changes how, how I play it once I see that. So we're going to open up with uh, me playing uh, my setting for... Well, it's sort of, it's Matt Seattle's setting, and then I play my setting for A Man's a Man for All That, uh, or ostensibly Lady Macintosh's Real. I'm really excited about these small pipes. This is a, a D set of small pipes that I did a trade with somebody. Uh, they said they were looking for a set of uh, Shepherd musettes, and were willing to trade, and I said, well, <laughs> what do you got to trade? I would love some bellows, small pipes, or a border pipe. And uh, sure enough, he had a pretty interesting set of D small pipes lying around. So that's what I'm playing. Uh, they're kind of interesting. They were made years ago. Um, the maker is a fellow that I think used to supply Lark in the Morning with bagpipes years and years and years and years and years and years ago. Uh, the maker was a fellow by the name of Denny Hall. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with them. It's funny getting my fingers used to a D chanter uh, for, for small pipes again, but it's really nice to have bellows and a small pipe and some drones and my Lindsay system chanter uh, with Chow, the Lindsay Chow chanter that's just print and play also fits into it. So I am eagerly awaiting a Walsh shuttle pipe read. Oh man, I wonder how many people are going to listen to this thing thinking it's about that John Walsh that makes the shuttle pipes. Well, uh, it's not. <laughs> I think John Walsh that makes the shuttle pipes is a far nicer person than John Walsh, the uh, 18th century music printer, as we will discuss towards the end of the episode. Um, anyway, here is my rendition of A, Man's, a Man for All That from uh, on a Denny Hall set of small pipes. And thanks again for uh, the folks that wrote in and shared music, and we had some really lovely chats, uh, all the way from Australia, one of them, so... Always good to hear from listeners. I don't know how... I think my 2020 would be significantly worse than it is if it wasn't for uh, people reaching out uh, that listen to the podcast. So thanks, everybody. Here is A Man's A Man for All That, also known as Lady Macintosh is Real.
right, so now let us begin our John Walsh tunes in earnest. I'm playing these in the same order they appear in the book, um, which is maybe bad thematically because I feel like I have to talk about Hair in the Corn right away now rather than just uh, playing several tunes in a row. Um, but yeah, Hair in the Corn is the first one I play out of the book. They're not all in a particularly comfortable key for me to play, and several of them, um, well, several of them I think are English. Uh, John Walsh published a collection of country dance music that's primarily English before then. Um, he wound up publishing many, many competitors of that Playford um, dance master that I played a setting from last week or two weeks ago? Uh, two weeks ago. It was the oldest setting for uh, Cock Up Thy Beaver. And uh, so he's kind of the main competitor for Playford's son and wound up printing a bunch of country dance music kind of in response to that uh, dance master book. Um, and a lot of the tunes in Caledonian country dancing are just reprints of English country dance books. Like I said, this book was published in London, and the Welshes were pretty comfortable kind of printing anything uh, and uh, just kind of saying what it was. They, um, yeah, they didn't have a lot of competitors once he got outside of London, and they were clearly kind of winning the game in London, due in large part, large part to having a copyright on Handel's music uh, with Handel. Uh, anyway, so let us play John Walsh's setting for Hair in the Corn. Uh, I'm going to play, when I play John Walsh's setting, since ostensibly this is for country dance music, uh, I'm going to play it pretty straight as written. And then when we go to O'Farrell's setting, I, I get a little bit more imaginative about how that piece would have sounded based on uh, the description of it kind of as a descriptive piece. Uh, so we will revisit that uh, when we get to overall setting. Anyway, so here is John Walsh's setting for The Hair and the Corn. After the podcast aired, like I said, heard from other people. Um, last week, I was reading through Barrington and, you know, read what Barrington said about descriptive pieces. 
And immediately I got an email with a couple, with a reference to the wedding, the Irish wedding uh, that Barrington talks about uh, from Keith Sanger, who told me where to find it and found it, looked at it. Uh, I'm not going to play it this week, but we'll get to it in due time. Uh, and then I was pretty surprised. Uh, you know, so we've got the Irish wedding. We've already got the fox hunt, obviously. And then today when I sat down to record John Walsh, I found Hair in the Corn. So I decided to kind of play around with it a bit. John Walsh's setting is kind of interesting. To me, it, it feels like a border pipe tune, those kind of runs in the second part. O'Farrell's setting is doesn't do that. Uh, it's also quite a bit more robust. What Barrington says about Hair in the Corn, I'll remind you from last time. Um, he says they were in the habit of playing a piece called The Wedding, in which words were plainly articulated, the wedding, dinner, the dancing, drinking, etc., all was expressed in a surprising manner. They also played The Hunt, or The Hare and the Corn. Through all its parts, the hounds, the horns, the shouts, the chase, the death, etc. So, <clears throat> The Hunt and The Hare and the Corn, uh, I mean, I thought that Fox Chase was just an alternate title for Hare and the Corn, but then after finding Hare and the Corn and kind of looking around on... Uh, tune arc, uh, the traditional tune archive, they have a bunch of links to similar titles uh, or to similar tunes, and they're all, I mean, it's just, it's obviously, that's the tune. Some of the alternative titles were like the hound chasing the hare. Um, it's also known as Seamus Ennis's jig, uh, but a little bit considerably different from O'Farrell's setting, uh, the the versions of Hare in the Corn that you hear, Planksty and... Um, here recorded as Seamus Ennis's jig by Matt Malloy and Sean Keane and Artie McGlynn. Um, so yeah, quite a bit different tunes from O'Farrell. So when I went through O'Farrell, I was trying to figure out, it's it's only a four-part tune. There's no, you know, indications in O'Farrell. O'Farrell gives the little notes that this is the hounds, this is the horn, and the pocket companion for Fox Chase. And there's no such thing in in the hair uh, the hair and the corn so i had to get creative with it and maybe it was a mistake i'm not quite sure uh, didn't really do much just the last part i kind of do some intentional honking around thinking that it's a, a dog kind of bleeding based on not not bleeding but bleating uh, based on what barrington says about hearing the hounds and the cries of the horn and things so i don't know cool tune though hope to keep it in the repertoire so here is o'farrell's setting for the hare in the corn Thank you. 
because I can't think of a better time to remind everybody that in the show notes I post links to the archival settings for all these music. So I hope any Ellen Pipers listening uh, that are interested will take up the challenge to look at O'Farrell's setting and kind of think of what Barrington said about the tune and try to do your own kind of interpretation of that music with a bunch of dogs and horns. And I don't really know how to emulate the sound of a rabbit or a hare uh, monkeying around in some... Um, I'd assume when they say corn, they mean barley or wheat or something of that sort. But uh, yeah, didn't know how to replicate that sound. Uh, I thought about listening to a bunch of rabbit sounds, but I ran out of time. Don't know that it would have inspired me. The sound of a dying rabbit, I think, is... Yeah, I could definitely pull that off with some incidental squeaks, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, didn't didn't uh, have the time to give that the duty it needed. So if you monkey around with it, uh, please let me know and send me a link. Love to hear it. All right, so back to John Walsh. Let's do the next piece in the order is another is a tune that I think is genuinely Scottish. So if we're keeping track here, uh, Hair in the Corn, well, I guess this is only the second tune, but Hair in the Corn, of course, shows up in O'Farrell settings, and it also shows up as a description of a, a tune that uh, Irish pipers play in, explicitly in, in Barrington. So I'm not sure about Hair in the Corn being a Scottish or a Caledonian country dance in particular. Um, and But Lion Cane Deary does show up in O'Farrell, but it shows up labeled as Scotch. So we'll give it, we'll give that to Walsh. So here is Lion Cane Deary from Walsh. Again, it's a pretty simple setting, as Walsh has it. At a certain point, I had planned to use Walsh's dance tunes as an intro every week, that I would just play a new Walsh tune as an intro, uh, rather than kind of have a pre-canned one. And I'm going to change the pre-canned one at some point, but it is such a blessing to just be able to paste in a little introduction thing every week. So we're going to update that at some point. Anyway, here is John Walsh's setting for my Ain Kind Deary. To, or playing through a feral setting for my own kind dearie, it's very different. Uh, published, you know, a good 50 or 60 years later, uh, so maybe things have com- gotten more complex, but a-, a lot of the tunes I have noticed in O'Farrell's Pocket Companion, like they are, the, the Scotch ones are really tricky. They're really difficult settings that I wouldn't, every time I've tried to play one, they sort of throw me for a loop, especially if it's a tune that I already know. Uh, it's just like his setting for it is needlessly complicated, it seems, or just it is complicated. And that is definitely the case with my in-kind Deary, to the point where I wonder if he wasn't showing off quite a bit for kind of wealthy Scots in London, throwing money around and excited to see a bagpiper uh, of any sort. Um, I don't know. My in-kind Deary, as O'Farrell sets it, seems to me to be a pretty cool and showy tune. So uh, here's O'Farrell's setting for my in-kind Deary. (laughs) 
fun little tune, particularly like that last part. Um, yeah, My Ain't Kind Deary from O'Farrell. All right, so back to Walsh. This is a tune I couldn't find any other settings for. Um, just, I mean, I didn't do a terrible in-depth, you know, hunt for these things. Um, but just poking around traditional tune archive, which has been just such a godsend for putting together this podcast. Um, but this is a tune I really liked called uh, Turnbridge Frisk. When I first listened to it, this just really sounded English to me rather than Scottish. But uh, but it's a good good cracking tune, uh, especially the longer I played it, uh, really came to like it. So here is Walsh's Turnbridge Frisk. <laughs> shows up in many collections, uh, but first we will listen to John Walsh's setting for Country Bumpkin.
said, there are several different settings for this tune. Uh, I just wound up, I found myself all of a sudden playing through a James Aird setting. Uh, the title is slightly different, and, uh, well, it's quite different. Uh, the title in James Aird's collection is Bab at the Bowster. So here is James Aird's setting for Bab at the Bowster. Should have said that was uh, from James Aird's collection of uh, Scotch, English, Irish, and foreign airs. I think that's from volume one, which is probably published published in the 1780s or so. Um, so a good uh, maybe 30 years after the Caledonian country music, uh, country dances uh, that we've been playing through. Uh, and the Caledonian country dances does have uh, several of these country dance books. Will have little. Uh, indications of like what the dance moves are supposed to be sort of like last week's uh, cook's collection did i'm sure this means a lot if you already like know the basics of country dances um, i'm sure this is enough to do your business they're they're more robust than cooks the first hey on the contrary sides then on your own sides and cast off and turn contrary corners first cuh Let's see you period cut, maybe? I don't know. Uh, whole figure at the bottom, then at the top, lead through the man's side and turn in the middle, and through the woman's side and turn in the middle. Yeah, that I feel like I can actually sort of understand that. This is from a tune called Prince Frederick's Hornpipe, which we're not going to play. That's all the Walsh tunes we're going to play. I wanted to talk a bit about the history of John Walsh. I started poking around and got a little bit distracted. Uh, there's a cool Open Learn or the Open University course called Music and Its Media that talks about John Walsh a fair amount. And uh, yeah, kind of the kind of how popular print music became in 18th century London in particular. And that was pretty, pretty interesting. And then I also got turned on to an article uh, called uh, Handel's publisher, John Walsh, his successors and contemporaries, uh, written by Frank Kidson for the Musical Quarterly all the way back in 1920. And uh, Mr. Kidson has some cool little quotes and anecdotes and things about John Walsh. Uh, John Walsh was the like, instrument maker for the king in ordinary uh, for and then uh, wound up printing a bunch of music. After Playford, uh, who published that, like I said, that 
dancing master that we played Johnny Cockthy Beaver from in the 1690s. Um, when Playford died, Playford's son took over. Playford's son seemed to kind of prefer printing uh, pictures uh, more than music, or kind of wound up, there wound up being more people printing music, and John Walsh was sort of first and foremost amongst them. And John Walsh's big success uh, was when Handel came to town. So when Handel showed up uh, in 1710 uh, and wrote an opera, uh, Ronaldo, Walsh was the one that got the rights to publish it, basically. Uh, kind of made an arrangement with Handel, and supposedly Handel made 1,500 pounds on the transaction. And Handel said, uh, supposedly, uh, this is in that paper, uh, Handel is credited with the sarcastic remark that Walsh should write the next opera and that Handel should publish it. That seems like there's, you know, obviously the relationship wasn't too bad. Handel wound up copywriting his music in England and giving Walsh or his um, kind of offspring the right to publish it, like the, the access to it. Um, yeah, points his sole publisher, John Walsh of the parish, St. Mary's in the Strand, his heirs and assigns, etc. Um, so that copyright was set up in 1739, so quite a, quite a ways after... Um, yeah, so anyway, John Walsh, when he passes away, uh, his son takes over, and I believe it's his son that winds up publishing this collection of Caledonian country dance music. But this relationship with Handel and, like, printing all this Handel music, I, I it's interesting that, I mean, I, I didn't spend more than an hour looking for it, and... I couldn't find any of these things. Like, as I was reading this article, I kept on searching for titles that it says John Walsh had published of various Italian operas and various of Handel's work in order to try to access it. But, uh, yeah, couldn't find anything. Uh, and so we're left with... Uh, or couldn't find anything that I could play, rather. I did find a couple pieces, but it was going to take too much time to figure that out. Um, but, yeah, Walsh published a ton. Um but the one thing that we do know is that he wound up publishing tons and tons of Handel stuff, so that's why I'm going to finish the episode with Handel's Minuet, uh, as, as O'Farrell sets it. Uh, John Walsh, according to this article, he, uh, there's some interesting anecdotes. He became quite wealthy by nature of publishing so much music. There is such a, a scene of people buying up music to play at home in London. Uh, so he was, he was doing pretty well on top of how popular Handel was and that Walsh is the one publishing most of Handel's work. But supposedly Walsh was, uh, <laughs> he would leave little pieces of gold out on his desk to see if his clerks were honest, uh, if the people that he worked with were going to rob from him or not. So Walsh had plenty of money around. Uh, anyway, interesting character. Um, it seems like not including dates that's a design feature, so they could reprint stuff pretty regularly to talk about video games again. It kind of reminds me of like sports video games that just barely reskin anything and then sell it again for full price. Um, so when John Walsh died in 1766, so that's the, the son, John Walsh, uh, who publishes this Caledonian country dance music, supposedly he is worth 40,000 pounds. So uh, 40,000 pounds in 1766 is a huge amount of coin. Anyway, interesting character, interesting tunes. Uh, we're going to go out now with Handel's Minuet from O'Farrell. I, like I said, I found a couple of the operas and things that Walsh published. The first book that, uh, the first book that's referenced in that article on Handel is one on on flute. Well, 
this one on recorder, not flute. It's for the flute, but he says specifically that it is uh, actually recorder. So the title of it is, I'm bring it up here, The Complete Flute Master, or The Whole Art of Playing the Recorder from 1695. So anyway, the German flute odyssey continues of, oh, it's called a German flute to differentiate it from a recorder, maybe? I don't know. Um, anyway, so couldn't find that, couldn't find any stuff that I thought would be easy. He published a whole collection of operas that were adjusted for flute, for the simple flute. Uh, I thought for sure if I could find that, I would be able to to play one of those tunes, but couldn't find it. Uh, this all, we'll, we'll talk about this at some point in the next couple of weeks. I'm planning to give a talk uh, sometime next weekend about country dance music books. I found a reference to a fur trader looking at a country dance book in during the American Revolution, and so I've been kind of poking around all these country dance collections, trying to figure out which one it might have been, and I think John Walsh, because he published so much, uh, seems like a likely candidate for a book that would find its way to the Great Lakes in seventeen in the seventeen seventies. So, anyway, we're gonna go out with Handel's Minuet. This is O'Farrell setting for it. Like I said, couldn't find one that I could manage, and this is a heck of a tune. So, uh, pretty challenging thing to play on Ellen pipes. Definitely don't get some of the second octave notes I'm hoping for, but still a fun tune. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Next week I'll be releasing an episode on Halloween. So. We're hoping I'm hoping to find several tunes that are kind of Halloween or um, the Scottish and Irish equivalent, uh, whose name I forgot to look up how to pronounce, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about that next week. Ordered a bunch of cool old oral tradition or oral histories from the Western Islands and Highlands of Scotland that uh, should prove relevant and helpful for coming up with a repertoire tunes. So anyway, that's up for next week. Uh, meanwhile, thanks for listening. If you feel inclined, leave us a review, leave me a review on iTunes, and feel free to get in touch with waytutwag at gmail.com or reach out on Facebook or Instagram or any of that jazz. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Cheers. Here is Handel's Minuet. O'Farrell spells it Handel, like a handle on a door. And I, you know, obviously this is a long time after John Walsh is publishing and a copyright's in concern, but there's part of me that wonders like, oh yeah, he's got to say it that way so that he doesn't get copyright claimed. <laughs> anyway, here's Handel's Minuet. Cheers. Cheers.